Well, the National Football League has begun their regular season games. Now, NCAA, they've been playing for a couple of weeks, and high school has been playing for a while. But, you know, I remember back to my football days about 66 years ago or so, and I know I've talked earlier about how lousy our team was, but back in the day, things were much different than they are now. If you were fortunate, you got a helmet that had two cross pieces instead of just one. And I think there was one kid on our team that he actually had one that came down the center. But that's the way equipment was back then, much different than now. We were taught to lead with our helmet when we were going to tackle somebody. Now that gets you a 15-yard penalty and maybe kicked out of the game. Holding, you know, you couldn't use your hands at all. Okay, if you were blocking on the, the line, you had to just put your forearms up. And I was black and blue from my elbow to my wrist well, from August to October. But there's a few teams that had a place kicker, okay, that somebody that could actually kick a field goal or kick an extra point. Uh, so it was nothing like the game today where some of these kids are in high school kicking 30, 40, 50-yard field goals. Uh, the game was mostly running, at least at our level. Uh, maybe bigger schools was different. And we are done by the end of October. Okay, There was no state championships that I'm aware of. We never got close enough to find out. Uh, but one thing I really liked was the, uh, the cleats. They were steel. They were metal. And so when we'd come out from the locker room and walk out, we had to walk the stairs and then walk through the parking lot over to the, the field. Just That was such a neat sound of, you know, 30 guys or so walking through there. Now, most guys played just for the fun of it, just because they like to play. Or the status of being on the football team, even as poor as it was. And that was fine in, well, until you got hurt. So now high school football is a big, big deal. Uh, it is here in Oklahoma, and much more so in Texas. Uh, where our son is down in Texas, the, the stadiums are bigger than small college stadiums. The workout facilities that they have uh, got used by the Packers and the Steelers before Super Bowl Forty-Five. Uh, I remember reading that a third of NFL quarterbacks played high school football in Texas. Uh, the school pretty much revolves around football. Uh, from the first official practice, and there's many unofficial practices, to the playoffs. And then spring football, uh, after the season has been over for a while, so, you know, we need to put that much effort into our relationship with the Lord, don't you think? Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that you are who you are, and you take us as we are, that you don't make us wait until we're good enough because it would never happen. You love us with all of our bruises, all of our bumps, all of our warts, and you just take us as we are, knowing that you can clean us up if we allow it. So, Father, the best way to get cleaned up is through your word. So as we look at your word right now, Father, let us see the message 
that you have for us and how we can put that into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we left off in the other church too, uh, Colossians 2, <coughs> telling us in verse 20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Okay, that's telling us that we're dead to the world. Okay, we're no longer part of it. Well, then we get to Colossians 3, and verses 1 and 4 tell us this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Since then, it's another way of saying, therefore. Okay, and so what Paul is saying is, you know what is true. And you need to be doing what you should be doing and not doing what you know you shouldn't be doing. And there's just no excuses. It's all a choice that we make. And hopefully, we make the right choices. It reminds me of a song that's been around a while, I Have Decided. And the first, well, I guess all four verses, they start out like this. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Verse 2, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. And then the fourth verse asks a question. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. That's what it's all about. Making the most important decision in your life. Raised with Christ, there has to be a decision, a personal decision. Nobody can make it for you. You know, and God has no grandchildren. It doesn't matter... You know, if your parents, you know, were in the church, if the doors were opened and uh, served on all kinds of committees and, you know, led prayer groups and Bible studies and everything else and, you know, were committed Christians, that's not going to get you heaven, okay? It's a personal commitment, a personal decision that you have to make. And Luke tells us this in Acts 3, or excuse me, Acts 2, verse 22 or 21. <laughs> and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, it doesn't say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord could be saved, or might be saved. Or it doesn't say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, after they get their act cleaned up and want to come, then they might be saved. Paul makes a couple of interesting statements in this passage. He says, set your hearts on things above. Okay, and in verse 2, he says, set your minds not on earthly things. What does it mean to set our hearts or our minds on something? Well, it means to desire it, to exercise our mind, to insert oneself, to inquire. In other words, we might say, you know, we need to, to check it out. We need to see that this is true and this is what we want to follow. The first is things above where Christ is. 
we need to be thinking about heavenly things. Okay, and the second part of that is to not set our minds on earthly things. Okay, your mind needs to be on heaven, not on the world. Okay, in verses 5 through 9, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Okay, and this is one of many times Paul writes about such things. And that's quite a list, isn't it? To get your toes stepped on? Let's be honest, okay? Well, here's another list from verses 5 and 8 in the message. It says sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like doing when you feel like doing it, grabbing whatever your, attracts your fancy, bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, and dirty talk. If the NIV didn't get you, the message did. Because we all know that we've been there before, before the Lord came into our lives. And we can look at that list and say, you know, I can see, you know, six, eight things that, you know, used to really be a part of my life. And then after I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I can look at that list and see, you know, there's one thing here. I, I really, really struggle with this one thing. And these two things over here, you know, they kind of get me down sometimes too. If we're being honest, we look at that list and we need to look at it with a mindset of saying, I need to work on this. Okay, this is a problem that I've got. This is something that pulls me down, pulls me away from the Lord. So why should we be concerned? Well, because God is totally 100% against sin. Verse 6 said that. The wrath of God is coming. I like what the message says. God is about to explode in anger. And this is not anger like you and I might display. Okay, We know and have seen, especially through the Old Testament, what the wrath of God, the anger of God can do. And God will show this because he hates sin. And because of that, sin has to be punished. So, since you have taken off your old self, when I was pastoring churches, I had to, uh, first of all, buy a robe when I got ordained. <coughs> and what I would do, each place that I served, one time, I would wear my robe on a Sunday morning, and I would always use it as part of an illustration. Uh, the last church we were at, there was a guy named Joe, and he sang in a choir. And after the choir was done, people would come down and sit in the first couple of pews, usually. And so Joe was sitting right there in front of me and had his choir robe on. And so I called Joe up next to me with my white robe on, or off-white, I guess it was. And so I, I said, you know, Joe, let's imagine that he doesn't know Jesus. 
And so he's, he's covered in his sin. And that's what the robe represents. And so I'd have Joe take his robe off. And I'd say, but now Joe has come to know Jesus. And myself representing Jesus, I would take my robe off and I would put it on Joe and say that, you know, he's now covered in my righteousness, in the righteousness of Jesus. You know, it's like when you get home from work. You know, no matter what you've been doing for work, you know, a lot of times you might be wearing something that's really dirty and you want to get it off. Or, you know, maybe you're wearing a suit and tie or a dress and high heels or whatever, and you want to get into something comfortable. And so that's what you do. You change from what you were into what you needed to be now. And verse 10 tells us exactly that. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul wrote the Corinthian church about this in his second letter, verse five, chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. In verse 11 of Colossians 3, Paul makes a statement that many of us need to remember. At least I know I certainly do. Here, therefore, is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, Scythians, that's not somebody we run into every day, and you can be pretty glad that you don't, because they originally came from where the country of Ukraine is now, and they were these really brutal people, and they were considered as others just a step, small step above wild beasts and the things that they would do when they would conquer a, a city, conquer a country. So he's saying that, you know, they can be part of the family of God too. Okay, just like you. I mean, maybe you were a goody two-shoes until you met Christ. And so, you know, you think, well, you know, it won't take long to wash my sins away. But that guy, who <laughs> God's got a big job in front of him. No, God has the same job with him as he does with you. Slave or free, this is a stumbling block for many non-believers. Your God believes in having slaves? Uh, that would be negative, okay? This passage was used by whites to justify slavery in our country. But we need to remember that slaves have been around forever. <coughs> Not that that makes it right by any means. But uh, slaves are black or white or Asian or Native American or, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and they're still slaves today. Uh, people don't like to admit that, but there certainly are. And they're slaves here in the United States. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt and Babylon when they were captured as a nation. A different situation to what, than what we saw in the United States, okay? There are slaves were brought in from wherever and used and abused uh, in many cases. Slaves for the Israelites were more like hired servants and they were able to buy their freedom. 
Well, verse 11 ends, Christ is all and is in all. You know, I wasn't able to find it, but I remember reading about a Confederate general kneeling next to a slave at the cross. And he was asked later why he would do such a thing. And he replied, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Very, very true. We need to remember that. I need to remember that. Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, therefore, okay, since then, or therefore, because of what Paul just said, okay, because of those things, you need to be clothing yourselves in these positive things, these good things, these things of God, because we're God's chosen people. Now, the Israelites, they were chosen before creation, so how does that include the Colossians? How does that include you and me? Well, Paul wrote to the Romans, the Galatians, and the Ephesians that our adoption is as sons, that we've been adopted into being the chosen ones. Again, Paul is telling us to take off our dirty rags and to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I had to throw in that last one. That's a toughie. But everything is possible with our Lord. Thank goodness. Okay, verses 13 and 14. Paul tells us, the Colossians and tells us to bear with each other and to forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, the last part of verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. When Paul puts that in, we really don't have any choice. Okay, it may not be easy, but it is necessary. One of the many things that we're asked to do that isn't easy, but it's necessary as believers. Then comes the bonding agent. Over all these virtues, put on love. In John's first letter, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, moving on to verses 15 to 17. Paul tells us, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're called to peace. Oh, without doing a whole new message, peace. Peace is something that seems to be pretty scarce this time of our lives. You know, not just here in the United States, but around the world. 
Okay, the Greek there is to live peaceably for quiet. Okay, so we're called to live peaceably. We're called to quietness. There's a lack of peace in the home. Abuse, uh, infidelity, uh, neglect. There's abuse of peace in the schools. Uh, teachers teaching things that they should not be teaching uh, that not many years ago would not have been accepted, but they're kind of the way it is now. There's a lack of peace at work. You know, people hating their jobs and people, you know, taking advantage of uh, different things and employers maybe expecting things that they shouldn't be. Uh, there's certainly no peace in the government, and there's no peace in our world. I like the last three words of verse 15, and be thankful. Again, this could be a new message. There is too little thankfulness in the home, in the school, at work, in the government, or in our world. Maybe peace and thankfulness it, they just kind of go together, don't you think? Admonish. Not an everyday word, but it means to keep each other on track. Okay, to help each other in our walk with the Lord. And to do all of this gently. Woo. I think Paul talked a lot about love and unity in Christ because he knew what he was going to write next may cause some disagreement. I know that... It, does in many circles today, but this mirrors what Paul says to the Ephesians in chapters 5 and 6. So Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I had to see how the message put this verse. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. That's a little gentler, but that word submit is still there. Some of the synonyms for submit are not quite as harsh, to agree or to consent or to accept. I believe Paul intentionally added that last phrase, as, as is fitting in the Lord. Well, verse 19, the tables get turned. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. The message says, husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul had added, As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, if you're doing that, you cannot go wrong. Okay, Every wife in the neighborhood will be jealous of you. Verse 20, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Again, looking back at Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now, Paul speaks to the fathers, to parents in verse 21. He says, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Okay, to embitter means to, to provoke them or to, to stimulate them. The message says, Parents, don't come down too hard on your children, or you'll crush their spirits. You know, and we can do this in many ways, you know, in comparing our kids to somebody else, comparing them to uh, older siblings sometimes. You know, well, your brother always got straight A's in chemistry. You know, you 
struggle to get a C. Uh, comparing in ways, you know, my oldest daughter, she's really good looking. And the younger one, you know, she's not bad. She looks like her mother. Or just setting unrealistic goals. You know, your mother and I went to Harvard, Harvard, and our parents and our grandparents all went to Harvard, and so, you know, that's where you need to go. And, and sometimes living our lives through the, our children, uh, especially sports. You know, well, when I was playing baseball, I did this and this. And so we have to be careful in what we do and how we're dealing with our children in that way. The next passage can and does cause controversy. Verses 22 to 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it all with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Again, this is not condoning slavery by any means. Okay, the first part of verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord. And this goes for all of us, no matter the task. You know, if you're writing a term paper in school, you know, write it as if you're turning it in to the Lord, not to your professor. And, you know, just working hard and doing your best. If you're a used car salesman, ooh, okay, you know, being honest with people. And, you know, it's like you're trying to sell a, a 72 Camaro to uh, Jesus or whatever it might be. You know, do it as you're doing it for the Lord. If you're teaching, you know, teach a class like you've got Jesus and sitting every one of those chairs in front of you. If you're a carpenter, you know, say, Jesus, I know you were a carpenter, so i got to work hard to try and do my best to, to please you. If you're vacuuming the floor or you're mowing the lawn or whatever it is, do it like you're doing it for the Lord. So I'm going to include Colossians 4.1 with this because anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. God, he doesn't show favoritism. Okay, it's just that plain and simple. He doesn't look at me and think I'm better than you or the other way around. <coughs> he doesn't look at my sin and say, <coughs> excuse me, and say, you know, this guy's sin is bigger than that guy's sin. He just looks at all of us the same. And one tells us that God expects us to treat others fairly, not just slave and master, but employers or coaches or teachers or whoever it might be. So what's Paul's point in this chapter? Well, we need to live as God expects us to live. That's kind of the point of everything that 
Paul writes to us. No matter what you're reading, no matter which one of his letters that it is to which church, it doesn't matter. When it comes down to it, Paul is saying, this is how you know you're supposed to live. And so this is how you need to live. Okay, you need to make whatever changes you need to make so you're living the way that you need to be living. You need to look at your life and see what there is that needs to be removed so you can be living your life for the Lord and not living your life as the world or in the world. So as we close this, I know that as believers, we we know all this. I'm not telling you anything new. I'm not doing any more than maybe reminding you of something that, you know, you, you knew and just it's kind of dropped off someplace. So let's pray and we'll bring ourselves back a little closer to the Lord, hopefully. Father, I just give you thanks for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is timeless, that it is alive and active. And that, Lord, we need to uh, be sure that we know that and that we uh, are doing our best to, to read your word, to study your word, and to put it into practice in our lives. And Lord, sometimes it's easier than others. Uh, sometimes our life is going really well, and you know we know we're living the way we should. And other times we may be struggling. And so Lord, we maybe aren't living quite up to what we know we should be. So Father, help us to put that behind us and to go forward, uh, making you a, a greater part of our lives and making your word uh, more of a guide for us. And Lord, if there's anyone that's listening that doesn't know you, Lord, help them to see that they need you in their lives. You know, no matter their age or their health or their wealth, that Lord, that they will see that what's been missing is your son, Jesus Christ. And that there's only one way to change that. And that is to, first of all, admit that we're a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. No matter who you are, okay, everybody has sin in their life. And so we need to just bring that before you and admit it. And then we need to uh, admit that what the Word says is true. That Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. That he lived his life for us as an example that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose three days later. And before he left the earth, he said, I'm coming back. He said, you need to just be getting yourself ready, because I don't know when I'm coming back. The Father hasn't told me. He's the only one that knows. So, Lord, help anyone to make that decision and follow Jesus. And no turning back. No turning back. In Jesus' name, amen.